Rusty Quill presents. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If Only in Theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com.
Sunrise has a different quality to it when it is experienced by someone who's been up all night. My mind felt strained, but I wasn't tired. I had hit a second wind upon leaving Rafael Muslani's house and seeing the sun rise on the street that I had walked on the night before, the street connecting the street where I'd first seen Rafael's cat, Lucy. Everything was recontextualized. I had neutralized the predator that had haunted me the night before, the largest cat in the world. I had met Rafael Muslani and heard what he had to say about his novels and about me. I had a new book in my hand, so new, in fact, that it did not have a title or anything else on the cover. I had been entrusted with it by someone who respected my opinion. I walked down the sidewalk, drying and heating in the morning sunlight, and read the new Rafael Muslani book. Walking and reading can be a challenge, but it is possible to get the hang of it if you do it enough times and walk slowly enough. The print was large, and the path ahead of me was straight, seemingly for miles. There was nobody else outside. I was alone in the world with the novel. It felt safe this time, unlike the night before. I began to read. The untitled book was the story of a man named Eric Holdinger, who was trying to get a stage production of his own play, The Sizemore Reduction, funded and put on. This isn't a play that could simply be put on by whatever community troupe fancied it, he assures us. The Sizemore Reduction is a whole ordeal. There are sketches of the particular ways that the set must be designed in order for the play to operate. So in one sense, he's like Samuel Beckett, if Beckett hadn't earned his ability to be picky through decades of important work. This was Holdinger's first ever play, you see. Before that, he was a chemical engineer, and had never had any creative fiction works published before, and certainly had never even attempted something on the scale of what he was complaining about not being able to get made. Holdinger was exceedingly correct that the specifications that he lays out for the Sizemore reduction surpass the ability of any acting troupe to put it on. He seemingly had made the show impossible for anyone to put on. It is a story in which multiple versions of characters appear on the stage at the same time, but he forbade the use of twins or lookalikes. Instead, he demanded that the production place a real time machine in the center of the stage, where it would remain for the entirety of the play and facilitate the needs specified in the script. His stage designs are included in the novel, notably the center of the stage just having a bold circle with a question mark inside of it. He had not designed a time machine for use in the play. Instead, he created the play under the assumption that once he was ready to put it on, someone would be able to provide a time machine for him. Unlike some fictional universes, though, Eric Holdinger did not live in a fictional universe where time travel was widely thought to be feasible or available. After being turned down by every major theater that would even hear his pitch, he is mysteriously contacted by a man who calls himself Eric Holdinger Jr., a theater manager in his 40s. Eric Holdinger doesn't have a son and is in his 40s himself. Jr. claims that he found the script and schematics for the play in some old files he had inherited after Sr.'s death, and technology had finally come to the point where Jr. could bring the play to life for his father in the time in which his father had lived. Not at all skeptical of this claim, due to Jr.'s apparent wealth and ability to get the show put on, Sr. starts putting the show together. Jr. wheels in a massive machine that serves as the centerpiece for the performance. The massive chrome cylinder loomed on the stage. There was hardly any room to do the rest of the play. Actors would shuffle awkwardly around it while performing their lines. Junior instructed that no one should use the machine until opening night, and that his father gets to use it first as a gift to him. Opening night comes and everyone is getting ready. Actors are all in costume. The doors are still closed, but ticket pre-sales are promising, as far as off-Broadway plays by unknown playwrights go. Probably more skeptics in the crowd than anything else. Junior leads Senior to the machine so that he may witness its majesty for the first time. He gets inside and pushes the buttons as instructed. 
a video screen comes to life. Junior's face is on the screen. He explains to Senior that time travel is indeed real and that this is not a time machine. When the Sizemore reduction inevitably failed due to the inability to produce a real time machine, Senior went back to his day job, engineering chemicals for pesticides. One of these was initially thought to be safe and effective, but instead results in the death of over one billion people between Senior's time on Earth and Junior's. Junior isn't actually Eric Holdinger Jr., of course, but rather a hitman by the name of Richard Sizemore, no relation, who has been assigned with preventing this whole debacle. The screen then turns off and the machine produces a strong electric shock, killing Holdinger. Sizemore retrieves and hides the body successfully. The play goes off the way that it was always going to, terribly. It's an enormous flop inasmuch as people can even be bothered to care about this nobody eccentric's awful play. The story ends with Sizemore slotting into Holdinger's life, an imitation of the man that he had just killed, in order to make completely sure that the killer pesticide never got made. The end. Not bad. I think that something about the effect generated by walking while reading lowered my guard somewhat. If reading is some aesthetic effort, prepared for by lighting candles and getting comfortable in a reading room, it can easily lead to holding what everyone is reading to an unfair standard. All fiction is trivial, by design. It's a story at least foreign enough to us that it could not simply be a non-fiction novel instead. Belief must be suspended, even in the most believable, stodgy literary fiction. We still have to convince ourselves that Hemingway's character looks up the tracks but does not see the train in Hills Like White Elephants, because he is not doing that, because he is a collection of words on the page. It is tempting to place this quote-unquote realer depiction above a genre story with loosely defined time travel, but it is arbitrary. They are both fiction. That might all sound like a pretentious way to say that it's okay that Raphael Muslani isn't as serious an author as Hemingway, but it is only pretentious if I don't actually believe it. Having met Raphael Muslani and knowing the narrative that has been crafted about his life, both by himself and by popular press, it is hard not to see The Sizemore Reduction as a story about Raphael Muslani. The prevailing criticism about Muslani, one that I have repeated in this diary, is that a combination of luck and nepotism resulted in his first novel being published without much effort, not being an author by trade, just like Holdinger. Muslani can wrinkle that narrative all he wants with his explanation of the truth, but that is still how he is perceived. His stories are often silly and unwieldy, requiring considerable work by the reader to make it palatable for themselves. I am the perfect reader of Raphael Muslani. I am Raphael Muslani Jr., come to give him a stage on which to perform his plays. That leaves me with questions. Is the end of the novel an inevitability, or is it something that Muslani thinks he can prevent somehow? And what is the time machine? I didn't have anywhere to put the book, so I held it in my left hand and continued walking down the straight sidewalk. By the time I had finished reading, it was already midday. Seemingly, as soon as I had closed the book for good, the road began to turn again. Suddenly there were sharp curves, as well as hills and valleys. The road narrowed and wove through a forest. It got so narrow that the huge trees on either side of the road were touching above the center of the road. The traffic lines were gone, and the sidewalk had disappeared. There was an end state maintenance sign, after which the road was a dirt path. I was on a dirt path in the middle of the forest. I kept walking. The path dissolved almost into nothing. Even when the ground was clear for me to walk on, sometimes there were branches at chest level that I had to duck under. These were bear paths. They were well-worn on the ground, because bears are enormous creatures more than capable of blazing a trail through the forest, but unless they stood on their hind legs during their journey, they wouldn't clear the branches that were above their heads. The idea of a bear in the woods with me didn't scare me. 
Coming into conflict with a bear would be extremely unlikely. Bears like to keep to themselves, and people don't make for easy meals. Plus, this didn't seem like the type of story that would result in an actual fight with an actual bear. My altercation with Lucy was different. I was never in any danger, and she belonged to airport novelist Rafael Muslani. She was never going to hurt me because she was constrained by the largest leash in the world. Bears in the forest are not on leashes. In addition, Lucy would surely show up at a pivotal moment and save me from a bear. I had earned her trust and loyalty by showing up to Muslani's house. Though smaller than a bear, her ferocity was unmatched and could easily prove to a bear that making a meal out of us was not worth the trouble. For a short period, the brush at the height of my head and chest became too much for me to brush away while walking, so I resorted to crawling on my hands and knees. The sunlight that I had been so relieved to see in the morning had been reduced to a thick green darkness. Having no choice but to walk on all fours and having nowhere to put the novel that I was carrying, I ended up dirtying the front and back covers of the novel. It pained me to tarnish something that was new when I got it just a few hours prior, but it had nowhere else to go. I thought briefly about trying to carry it in my mouth like a dog, but it wouldn't fit, and even that would surely tarnish it in some capacity. I resigned myself to my lack of agency in the matter. They were just the front and back cover after all, and these covers were blank placeholders anyway. This period of crawling was made gracefully short by the forest opening up into a greater valley only a few hundred feet after I had resorted to moving on hands and knees. I was finally able to stand up and dust myself off, along with dusting off the novel. The state of the covers was what I had feared, their sharp whiteness forever stained by spotty brown marks. The white was much too receptive to color to ever have prevented it. If it hadn't been stained this way, it could have easily been stained by something else. I tried not to dwell too much on the state of all possibilities. From the top of the hill overseeing the valley, I could see it in all of its beauty. It was simple in how it made itself aesthetically gratifying. Just one long roll of medium-high, light green grass. The air felt lighter and didn't smell like mushrooms and decay like the forest floor had. The sudden freedom was the most beautiful thing about it. Freedom from night, from rain, from walking, from sunrises, from dirt paths, from bear paths, from dirty book covers. There was a log cabin centered in the bottom of the valley. Even this feature of the valley was elegantly designed. It was a tall and wide cabin, made from dark logs with their pleasing semicircle surfaces, shaping the exterior from top to bottom. It was an idyllic, storytime version of a cabin, free from all of the connotations of frontier roughness that had created a demand for buildings like this in the first place. I thought that it must have been designed and constructed not by someone who needed a quick dwelling to stay in while they did work that they had to do in the forest, but rather someone who needed a satisfying place to stay in order to get away from work that haunted them far from the boundaries of the forest. Though tired from being awake so long and walking so far, I hiked down the valley excitedly. The air was easy to breathe, the terrain was easy to traverse. I got to the bottom of the valley and stepped onto the front porch of the cabin. I knocked on the door. The door opened. It was Rafael Muslani. I could see Lucy curled up in her cat bed behind him, the largest cat bed in the world. Rafael Muslani looked at me and smiled a smile that encouraged enough space for me to enter the cabin with him. Eliza, good to see you, he said. You look tired, please come in. You can sleep here if you want. I am dying to know what you thought about the novel.
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.